This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm going to get right into it because there's no time to waste. I have my one of my favorite people of, of all time with me in this podcast. John Ariani is a master of fine arts. That's a motherfucking artist right there. He's a blacksmith. He's a, He teaches at the New York Studio School, and he's here with me. He's one of my good friends. John, how the fuck are you? Doing all right. Doing okay. Yeah, you're just okay? Well, we'll see. Well, I'm up and down. I'm up and down all day long. I understand. It's the artist's now, temperament. Well, among other things, I mean, you're you're you live in New Jersey, but you work in New York. That's true. And it's you teach at the New York Studio School, when I'm sure that it's very difficult to be teaching classes now. Yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, I've been working from home, doing Zoom, Zoom online classes, uh, online sculpture classes, which is. Uh, as, as confusing as it sounds, but yeah. uh, it, it's been okay. It's obviously not the preferred uh, no. medium for sculpture classes. Well, it's, it's probably wise that you, some, the school's trying to figure out you, how do you guys can do something. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's funny. The, a lot of the, the feedback we've been getting has been uh, people t- have taken to it. But, oh, really? You know, yeah, but, you know, it's especially during while well, like everyone had stay at home orders um or stay home orders whatever it is uh you know it it was it was a way to keep track of the day right. so every every monday evening you have this meeting you, you know and now now you realize oh wow six days have gone by like i'd better go into my class um you know and having small assignments throughout the week sort of kept people on track um you know as far as the passage of time went um, and, and, you know, the projects obviously vary, you know, pe- some, some of our students are just in, you know, one, one bedroom, you know, yeah. they don't even know their roommates. Like I, I know I have students who, who don't even really like literally don't know their roommates. It's like you right. move to Manhattan, you find a room, you like, I go to school all day. I go, I walk into my room. I say hi to this person that I share an apartment with and I go into my bedroom and go to sleep. Ooh, so now and, it's like a uh, weird intimate relationship. Yeah, now now you're stuck in the same pl- same place with them for three months. And you <laughs> so, haven't and you haven't gone back to this to the studio school, right? I haven't. No, no. Has it, so what's the plan? Uh, I, that's below my pay grade. <laughs> All right. Fine. First off, but uh, I I think they're. Tr- I mean, we're hoping to open obviously in the fall, um, for our regular semester. Right now we have like summer courses. Um, I'm supposed to be teaching one in a couple weeks, Ugh. which, you know, it, we, we do these things, they're called marathons. It's like two weeks of, uh, eight hours a day, you know, art making. And, uh, I'm supposed to be teaching one and, uh, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy to think that you're going to be sitting on, uh, on your computer for that long. Well, the move is um, going to possibly be with these schools is if they can figure out how to do this Zoom, these Zoom classes, then all of a sudden yeah. you can take you can take students from all over the country. That would that, be, that's that actually would be... where we, where we are headed because, you know, we'll have our regular curric- curriculum, regular full time students. I mean, we you know we're an MFA program, 
um, and we have a certificate program. But we do offer, you know, elective classes that you, you don't have to be a full-time student to take. Um, they're like evening and weekend classes. Yeah. So really, I think the move now, because we're, we're actually seeing how successful some of these uh, Zoom online sessions have been, um, they'll try to like all and basically add that to our you know roster of classes and um you know start offering you know we the last one i did uh, that just ended uh last last week we had we have a student in scotland a student in germany two students in new york um actually a lot of students in new york or like east coast it's one right. in connecticut pennsylvania so like all of a sudden you, you know we're, we're all over the world but you know, in the same sessions, and those those poor kids, international, she, she like the girl from Germany. She's just like I'm on New York time now, so she's like staying up all night to like be part of these meetings, right? And, and to keep up with the work, and then, you know, sleeping I guess in the middle of the day. That's what you um, got to do. But that's you know it's funny because in the glow and we're this is so far. I mean, we're, we're, what are we talking about this for? But like. You know, people who are in, involved with the stock market, some of them, some of them change their schedule around to be around different times of different time zones. Anyway. Oh sure, yeah, like when the Chinese market or opens in England or whatever. All right, what kind of fucking podcast is this? So, <laughs> so you, you what started I, it, man. I know I fucked up, but fine. We're gonna get here. So you've been home for you have a nice shop by your by your house. Have you been able to get any work done? Not yes, but not my usual line of work i actually i got a commission for uh these topiary armatures um from a friend of mine he does he works for a uh a lumber company lumber yard out by out by me uh and he he runs like the uh, the metal fabrication wing of it like so they do a lot of timber framing and then they need brackets or they need um you know decorative plates uh, so he brought me this job, and uh, to make these topiary armatures for uh, I, I can't even remember the name of the type of camel, the two hump camel, fucking Bactrine or something. Is that a dromedary or Bactrine? I think that's a the one hump. Bactrine. two. I don't know. Whatever. It looks like a camel. The two hump camel. Isn't that the? Isn't that a two hump camel? A camel? On the camel no, cigarettes, the... it's a two hump camel. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. The company right. wasn't Camel Cigarettes. It's uh it's a company that actually that, that that's uh that does Mongolian excur- excursions. So they're like the the biggest uh <laughs> travel company to Mongolia. So you're making Mongolian topor- topiary structures? Something like that. Right. Are you almost um, done? I'm done. No, they're they're done and gone and Thank God. So the premier Mongolian travel company. Nice. Wow! Look at you. Yeah. you They're nestled you. in the Gobi Desert. They offer an elevated take on the traditional nomadic lifestyle. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Wow. First time I looked at their at their Instagram page. So can I? So does that mean can I call you Genghis John? You. <laughs> that's the new name, Uncle that's Sunset true. or Genghis John. I don't fucking call you. I don't call you Uncle Sunset. I think it's weird. That's because you're older than me. Fine. A lot. Yes, that's right. So, so you got two kids at home. You guys are two all kids at home. You got you're making all, camels. You're, you got making <laughs> Genghis John hanging out, 
And what is it weird? I'm trying. You got younger kids, and what I'm getting to is, is what is is home life changed because they're younger and you they can't see their friends or see new go to see what's going on with your family your kids? They're. I they think they're good. I mean, I you know one of them is too young to understand what's going on, right? Right. He doesn't. He doesn't know. I mean, he's been. He's like the best part because he's 18 months or now he's 19, but I just you know. If you have kids over that time, like so much changes. He's just like every day is like doing something new, and you know I never would have had this time sitting sitting in the house watching him just like change in front of my eyes. Um, so that's been awesome. Um, my three year old, he's like three and a half. He's gonna be four, I guess, next month. But he uh, he's maybe a little stir crazy and bored. Um, yeah, I think I don't he, know what you, you say know, to these kids. He, you can't say to young kids. Just, we just say the people are sick and can't go. We can't go to Target because the people are sick. He well, was just he was just getting used to like you know preschool and right. I think no, you, you know, and then all of a sudden he like isn't going anymore, and he's like, well, why can't I see my friends? Right. But like you know, are they really friends? I don't know. Do you really have friends? <laughs> and at that friends? age, they're not really friends. They're they're not even. Right, they're just people you see. Yeah, they're just people who are there at the same time you're there, and sometimes you talk. You know, really he, I think he he's used, he was used to more variety of like. Right. I, I'm home a couple of days. My wife's home a couple of days. Then you know his grandma comes a couple of days, so it was like constantly changing. And but like now it's like nothing changes. Right. No more grandma either, right? We we just we we started seeing her again. Right. Both. Because I got things. a whole different situation. My kid is 15. And she's been out of school since March, and then yeah. if school starts again, she'll be have, she'll have been out of school for almost six months, which is crazy. You know, her whole summers, you know, she was going to be in summer. She, her whole summers ruined. All, she had a lot of summer plans. We had all sorts of plans. I was going to go out back to uh, Barcelona, teach a class in Barcelona with uh, right. quarantine kitchen knives that got thrown out, which is fine. We'll figure something out. But it was, I. It's a similar that I got to spend a lot more time with my kid, but because she's so much older, their conversations were really very like, I mean, we had to like, not dig deep, but we were dealing with real questions. And a lot well, of- she can formulate her own opinions about it. Like she yeah, only course. knows what I tell them. Or of what course, of them. course. I mean, she formulates her own opinion. She's, you know, she's a bright kid and, and right. she's, you know, but it sucks for her because she's, she hasn't seen any of her friends. She hasn't seen, she has, you know, we're, because we also had COVID-19, we're all a little bit gun shy of seeing people anyway, but you know, she's really been hanging out with me and my wife. So we have these long conversations and, you know, I also feel so guilty that she's, can't see her friends or she's not going to school and all this stuff. So I end up, you know, we have real conversations. So she started to tell me early, so, so you got to school in March, so about April when my wife was sick. My kid and I were doing a lot more walking with the dogs and trying to, you know, I was trying to, you know, tell her good stories and we talk about real things. And I just didn't want her to feel like she was alone, really. And it, I'm not the person to do that because, you know, I, she needs to be around other people besides her parents. So she started talking to me about drugs and she started to ask me about marijuana. And it was a real conversation. And she told me that she knows people at her school. This is, you know, she had been out of school for, you know, whatever month. She knows that people, vaping is huge. And vaping weed is huge. And there are a lot of kids who, a lot of kids vape. 
and we were talking about marijuana use and and now that marijuana in general is much more mainstream you know when you and i well, when i was a kid it was really kind of backdoor shit and it was really like even if you went to a party and someone was smoking weed at the party that was like kind of a i mean for me it was a big deal so you know it was always not really talked about as in something that was i mean it was always it was illegal and now with how things are progressing and with medical marijuana and with you know the way people are saying you know changing their minds about well you know this marijuana is better for you for this and marijuana is better for you for that than you know like you know painkillers and stuff like that and it's natural and stuff like that so there's a lot of conversation and it was like real conversation and I, it was interesting because i had to really say to her i had to say to her that I understand, you know, she said, you know, the p people are, are having better experiences and it's, it's becoming more controlled and this, that, and the other thing. And I, and I ended up having to say to her, I'm your, I'm your father. I can't. And she was basically angling to, you know, she wanted to know what it was like. So she asked me what it was like, what was the first time? And I have a story that's kind of bizarre and interrupt me anytime you want. So... The I'm listening. Full of, you have my full attention. All right. The first time, the, the the first time I ever smoked marijuana, you'll have to know it was probably 1990 or it was probably 89, uh, 89 or 90, and I had just transferred to a new school and somebody, the only kid I knew there was a kid who was in um, a very famous PSA from the 80s, 80s and 90s. A PSA, public service announcement, the kid's sitting on his bed, you know, in a flannel shirt. He's drumming with earphones in his head, and his dad walks in. he got a curly hair and a mustache. He's got a cigar box in his hands. He goes, where did you learn how to do these drugs? And the kid's like, B -b 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 and he goes, tell me where you learned how to do these drugs. And the father's giving the kid the fucking third degree. And then the kid just, like, after stuttering for a while, he says, I learned it from watching you, okay? Do you remember that PSA? Oh, yeah. All right. He was my friend. That guy was, I won't say his name because, I mean, he's a, you know. He had, the dad he had a, was? No, the fucking dad was. The kid. You're, you're the kid old, was, I don't know. The, the, kid was, the kid was a year older than me. And we, he took me around. He took me under his wing. And it was like he was a child actor at the time. I don't think he really did much more, but he was such a good dude. And when I transferred to the school and I knew him, he kind of took me under his wing. And he was known for this goddamn commercial, which is the most famous PSA of all time. I learned it from watching you, okay? Which is a totally crazy thing because the, my father was not, you know, smoking marijuana. I, I, there was no, my parents were not smoking marijuana, and I wasn't going to learn from them. See, I so, think in my generation, the most, the best one was the girl, the the chick from the She's All That, uh, smashing. That? She's like, "This is what, this is your brain on drugs," and then oh, she yeah. like smashes, she smashes the kitchen apart. That's oh, my generation. Really? I just remember the eggs. I remember dropping the fried eggs in the pan. Johnny Depp dry, dropping the fried eggs on the pan. Yeah, but then then she she just destroys the kitchen. That, see, that doesn't really. I don't Can I look that, that one up? Look it up. I'll look. I'll look it up when this is all over. But the my, my friend, the the classic. I learned the it from kids watching know what you. I'm okay. Talking about. The funny thing about I learned this from watching you. Okay, is that it? It was blaming the parents. That's the best part. It wasn't about the kid don't do drugs. It was you're smoking weed and your kids are learning how to smoke weed because you're an asshole. That I, that's the best part about the whole thing. They, you know, the dude's like, you know, my kid's smoking weed and he learned it from me. So, so this guy was such a good dude. And uh, he took me to a party. And at the time, my parents were divorced. So I was like kind of almost raising myself um, in the city, New York City during the you know, late 80s and early 90s. My dad was off doing his thing. My mom was trying to like make her life better back together. And I was like the latchkey kid. 
So my friend took me over to this uh, these uh, this other kid's house, this upperclassman, and um, they, we were having a good time. They were super nice to me, I mean, and I was just like, you know, I was a friend of this guy's, and you know, that was good enough for them. And they pulled out a bong. I'd never seen a weed before, so they pulled out this uh, a little pipe, and they pulled out a little bud. And with the bud was, I mean, I didn't really have anything to you know do it off of, but it was like the size of a quarter. It was like this perfect you know size of a quarter. And they put it in the bowl, and then they started passing around. They gave it to you know. They said, "You want some?" And I said, "Well, I'd never really done it before, and I was a little bit nervous about it, and I don't think I should do it." But then I was like, "All these guys are gonna be all stoned, and what do I, what do, I do?" And then they all turned to me and they said, "Don't worry, because the first time you do it, nothing happens." Have you ever heard that that old gag? Oh yeah. Yeah. So he said, "Don't worry, the first time you smoke it, nothing will happen." So I was like, okay, you know, I smoked, you know, Marlboro Lights and I, you know, whatever, some cigarettes. So I smoked the marijuana. It, was, it tasted great. It tasted awesome. I'm not telling my kid this story. So I'm like, it tasted great and, you know, nothing was happening. And I passed it along and we were having this moment with all my all these guys, the upperclassmen. They kept passing around. Every time they passed it around, I took a hit. One, two, three, four, five, passing around. And I don't worry, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Five seconds after the last puff, I'm walking on my hands and knees, pronouncing, uh, uh, announcing that I can see out of my ankles. I know what it's like to see out of my ankles. It's because I'm crawling on the floor. I was obliterated. And the rest of the night, I was so fucking high. And then I started getting paranoid. And then all I can think of is, and we're walking past police precincts. And I'm like, they know I'm stoned. Everyone knows I'm stoned. And I'm all fucking tweaked out. And I'm totally waiting for the police to say, where did you learn to do these drugs? And I was going to say, I learned it from watching him. Okay. It was a very, you know, surreal <laughs> I learned situation. learned from you, officer. Because there's a movie, the the, TV, the, the commercial, the, commer- the PSA is like stuck in my head. That my friend, who I'm fucking high with, was blaming his dad who was yelling at him. But I was terrified. I was terrified about the police. I was terrified that the police were going to arrest me. I was terrified that I was going to go to jail. I, I, it was a very scary situation, and I had, and, I, and I, after I told the story to my daughter, who thought it was funny, and we had to find the PSA on on, uh, on YouTube, she was just like, "Wow, that sounds like such a great time," and I was like, "Oh fuck, I should, I shouldn't have made it sound so fun. I should have just like, I should have, you know, just not told. Ah, fuck it. I felt so bad because she was having a bad time. I wanted to tell her a good story, and then I ended up having to say to him, "Look, we're not friends. I'm your parent, and you can't. I, if I say to you, I give you permission to smoke marijuana." That makes me a bad parent. I can't tell you it's okay. I can't even tell you because it's not okay. I'll be pissed. So we had a long conversation about it, and it was just one of those things. And this is obviously going to be something you're going to be dealing with when you get older, when your kids get older. Well, probably, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be legal everywhere. Yeah, but that doesn't you know, mean— 10 years. Yeah, but that doesn't mean, you know, 15-year-olds should be, you know, going out and buying joints. No, prob- probably not. My, uh, I don't really smoke— uh, my wife, no, she doesn't listen, does, um, and doesn't really hide it. So I feel like it's been pretty, you know, part of their lives. Like, oh, really? They, they see this thing happening, yeah. All right. Well, it's fine. It's very, you know, she, she's, uh, she takes a little little puff she and She listens that's to this it. podcast, I hope. Jesus Christ, John. Nah, she's fine. She's fine with it. So... So you, so, so it's part of, you know, you yeah, but then, so then it's not this, you know, it's not this, uh, you know, secret exotic thing. Right. Like, Ooh, it's not taboo. It's just, you right. know, it, it happens like as often as daddy drinking a beer. Yeah. But the, see, but that's different than the way kids see it. 
you know, these kids, you know, like my kids' friends or kids that they know. Well, she's your your daughter probably came up with you know she probably had dare up until even now. She did. Then then they gotta like take out the the whole like uh, marijuana component to it. Well, I don't know. I just I get worried about you know. Obviously, we have to have, we have to have these real conversations that I have to constantly just like kind of back off a little bit and say like, God, this is a fun story, but you shouldn't be doing it." And it's just like, I'm so stupid. You totally I shouldn't, shouldn't do it though. Story. She shouldn't do here's, it. Here's all this fun I had. Here's how I know I fucked I'm never up. T- I'm never telling my kids any story. I yeah, that's just the, that's the, 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 it was a cl- it was a bad decision. I thought I was kind of like being like good dad and telling her a funny story, and then my wife was there, and she's just like she's like behind her, just kind of like shaking her head and giving me the uh this isn't this isn't gonna this is not helping your situation at all yeah you but know. she's a smart fine your daughter your daughter she's fine she's gonna be she, fine she'll be fine she's she irritated she... but she's 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 <laughs> told me that she's passed it up and i think i might have even said to her like i'm gonna know if you're high and if you if i find out you're high it's gonna be a bad situation so like yeah, i had to like be coming in at 3 a.m asking for that peach tartan <laughs> yeah yeah, all like, of a sudden. What, like what? Why yeah. do you want to make a peach tartan at three a.m.? Well, the fu- I mean, that's the pro- that's the other problem. It's like you know, I gotta, I, I, I uh, yeah, you gotta be careful. I mean, it's been a long, long time for me, only because it's just like, I can't, you know, when since my kid was born, I was like, I can't be fucking smoking weed. I, 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 me and smoking weed is always not good because it's just I have to unplug the phones and I'm just terrified of anybody calling. Have you had any? You had. You said you don't. Smoke I, I used to. You. I used to be uh, all day, every day, everything. Go for it. Really. Like function. I functioned better, and then uh, actually, I did. I did acid for the first time. I did. I did uh, like two hits. I think over two days, and I listened to Radiohead by myself in a room for two days, oh my and God. then after that, I I can't. Uh, I, I pretty much can't smoke anymore. That sounds terrible. It, like, straightened me out. <laughs> I don't know. I think I used to be a lot weirder, if you can believe it. But, I mean, you haven't had any weird, like, drug stories, right? Of course. Well, I've got I've got many, but, you know, I, I did tell you I uh, I got arrested in India once. What? And, uh... Wait a second. Wait a second. India once? You got arrested in India once? <laughs> well, I guess I was... I was detained for about 36 hours. Wait a second. What possessed you to go to India? Well, I was on a spiritual journey, Jeff, as you can tell. How old were you? How calm and collected and in tune with the universe I am. Look at you, Genghis John. I was, uh, it was, uh, it was 2006. And, uh. Did you go by yourself? No, I I went with a friend and, uh, we went hiking. I had just graduated college. And I was doing an internship at uh, Salem Artworks, a sculpture park in upstate upstate New York. And I was, like, living there. Like, I was living out of a tent. Um, I was there, I think, from June to, like, October. And, uh, like, in a tent. A tent in October in uh, upstate New York is not fun. That's terrible. FYI. <laughs> No, the FYI people. is taken. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, it did, I don't know if you guys knew that, but uh, it gets cold. Oh. Um, but yeah, it, in the middle there, in like uh, I think it was July or August, I went hiking in India. And uh, wait, what we, possessed you to want to go to India? My my friends, my 
I, I grew up with like a lot of Indian friends somehow, okay. some way. And uh, one of my friend's parents moved back to India after being here in Jersey for 30 years. Um, they moved back while he was in college. So we were like, oh, you know, I'm going to go visit my parents. Do you want to come? And I'm like, sure. Let's, why not? Let's see what happens. And, uh, you know, we spent a little bit of time with them, but then we planned this like hike, this hiking trip in, uh, you know, North, Northern India. It's in, uh, what was it? Nani Tal. It's like, uh, have you ever heard of Jim Corbett? He's like, uh, yes. He's an adventurer. He's like, uh, yes, yes, but like, yes. uh, Arthur, what's this? Uh, Quartermain, Arthur Quartermain. Um, he, like he, this guy would go, he would go around to village. He was a, you know, white guy, but he was born in India. But he's like, you know, when the, you know, the English <laughs> were heavily involved. Um, but he, uh, he would go around uh, to these villages and they, they, the villages, they'd be, oh, we're being terrorized by this tiger. He'd go and he'd hunt the tiger. Is this a but real? Overall, is this a real person or is this? This Alan is real life. No, this is this oh, is, is real like life. That, I thought this is Alan Quartermain that like. Uh, this God is this Chamberlain is who show. Alan Quartermain wishes he was. This oh. is like a real. This is like a badass. This is a Teddy Roosevelt. This is like a yeah. like so a man. Goes, like so, he, so they, so they he, he'd so go the village to village. You know, as these villagers being terrorized. You know, the woman's out out. You know, she's down by the river. You know, washing the clothes, and then this tiger comes out and just like you know mauls her, uh, or they eat the kids, or you know, uh, but you know, oh, as he's doing all this, he he you know kind of falls in love like with the with the tigers. He realizes, oh, this is why they're doing it. It's because of you know hunters or these these tigers are getting injured. Like he's like they're you know generally they're you know they're obviously they're gigantic cats that are very very strong and dangerous but you know they, they could give two shits about us really right and uh the only reason they're attacking is because they're injured or they have you know they're starving all these other things so later in his life he sets up he set up a uh tiger reserve in this in this area that we went hiking which was already bugging me out a little bit i'm like we're, we're going to a tiger reserve to go hiking um <laughs> Which we also we happen to kind of know be not really near. There's plenty of wildlife. And then once I got there, I'm a little more concerned about the thousands of monkeys I see everywhere. And uh, we were hiking. Um, were you, and you we, were camping along the way. Yeah, so we're camping out, so and uh, a lot a lot of the places were like you know every night. Obviously, we're traveling along, but every so every night we're staying somewhere different, but. Um, the first few nights, it's like we stayed at this, like, uh, like an ashram. And, uh, you know, a little, like a little Indian man, he comes comes waddling out with, like, some apples and a chillum filled with hash. What's a fucking like chillum? A, cool. It's like a one-hitter, basically. Like, so, uh, just like you get a, this like little a guy straight... showing up with apples and fucking wheat and hash. Yeah, yeah, you know, that was normal. I All mean, right. when we got there, when we got to our, when we got, we had to take a train from uh, Delhi, you know, up to it was twenty hours or something on this oh like God. slow moving train. We were we were first class, which meant we had a seat. Literally, all we had was a seat. If you didn't have that, you're you're you've seen the National Geographic pictures. You're you're basically like standing or on the side of like standing outside of the train or you're sitting on the roof of the train. Uh, <laughs> so that was cool. We had we had a seat. No one's taking the no one's going to the bathroom on that train. Oh no, 
or maybe maybe they are. I think maybe I'm sure I I took a piss like you know in between the cars or something. Um, the thing was just moving so slow, and it's moving uphill because where we are is the foothills of the Himalayas. Like we're, you know, we're like right on the border of Nepal, basically the other side of the mountain. It's like once you get there is Nepal. Um, so it, it, the train was moving very slow, which is why it took so long. And then trains make like a thousand stops. Um, when we got there, we didn't even consider elevation because. I'm a stupid, like, whatever, 20-year-old, or tw- I don't even know how old I was, 20, 22, maybe. And, uh, you know, we get out, and our, our guy, he's like, hey, like, welcome. Like, here, smoke this hash. Here's a, like, here's a beer. Here's a liter of Kingfisher. And, uh, Look at you. Ooh, ele- elevation. Elevation will just rock you. I was, like, put on my ass. Like, that that first night, and then it didn't stop there. So now we're just like hiking. This guy, this guy's just like smoking hash the entire time, up the up the mountain. We're just, you know, me and my buddy, we're just like not ready for this. Just walking, walking. He's like, "Hey, you want to hit this?" I'm like, "Okay." Because oh <laughs> why would you turn it country, down, man? This foreign country with tigers yeah. and you're smoking hash and drinking kingfishers yeah. on a hike. T- tigers and monkeys drinking kingfishers, smoking I'm, hash. I'm so I have so much anxiety right now. Go ahead, right? He, so. he would he would actually like. He would put some tobacco in there too. He's like, "Oh no, it's okay. It's more mild. It would, be, you know, you put a little tobacco in, and that that was even worse because then you're just like you're just like buzzing around. You're, you're just like, you got that like or something. You just got like a nicotine like, like I'm just gonna like spin off of this mountain right now. And uh, <laughs> how did you? So the first the first couple nights were just you know staying at these places, and uh, then we get to this we get to this one village, and. Uh, they're, they're like some of these places are like borderline hostels right but everything in india is like run by the government because they like love bureaucracy as dysfunctional as it might seem like they just like love red tape they love like here you know here are the steps to get into your room yeah and uh they go well let we need your passport we're like well we, we don't have them like we, we didn't leave the country so why would we bring our passports now I had asked my friend's mom and the guide, "Do we need to bring our passports?" And they were like, "No, no. Why? You're you're going camping. It's probably safer if you don't bring them. Like, what if somebody you, know, you lose it? it? What if you lose it on the side of the mountain? What if you yeah? What if somebody steals it? So, so they now want your passport. So now they're saying, "Give us your passports," and we're like, "We don't have them." And they said, "Well, you know, we can't let you leave." And now we're in this like lobby, and they're saying, "The hotel we can't let you says leave. this." Yeah, a hotel, a well, a government-run hotel. Like the, right, the hostel. Yeah, saying you you know you can't you can't check into a room, but you also can't leave. So now we're just like sitting in front of this like desk, and uh, high as kites. You know, they high as a kite. Yeah, and now they call the police, the local oh police. The oh. the local lieutenant comes by. He says, uh, "Where'd you learn to do all these right, drugs? Well, learned from watching you. you. Know, we're gonna have to sort this out." Like, well, obviously, you know, the, you know, this brilliant detective work is, well, obviously you're a European hash smuggler and we can't let you leave until we find out who you are and, and if you are who you say you are or if you are who, you are who we say we are. We're like, OK, well, this is ridiculous. This is so silly. Like, fine. We're, you know, we're trying to make a we're trying to make a phone call. Uh, we had, you know, we had to walk down with an escort go down to find the payphone, which is like seven kilometers away. Uh-huh. And we call, you know, we call, 
uh, call down to Delhi and say, hey, can you like, can you take a Xerox and and, and fax it to these guys to, you know, fax us a picture of our passport. So then, okay, cool. They'll they'll fax us a picture of the passport, uh, which is now the, the fax machine is nowhere in this town. Right. Now that's another however many kilometers away in the next town over. This is so fucking the, wasteful. At the local magistrate's office. So they fax it there. They get they get the copy. Someone drives it back over. And uh, the guy's sitting there looking at it. He's like, well, how do we know that you didn't just doctor this? Like, how, how do we know that this is even real? We need to have the physical, actual passport. Oh like, for God. us to know that it's real. But they, now, but they should like have my, figured that out in the beginning, right? Why did they say like, that at the beginning? Okay. He's right. like freak. He's my. He's starting to get. He's sweating. Right, how freaked scared. out are you? I was. I'm like. I don't know. I, I must. Maybe I was just because I was like stoned out of my mind. I'm like. This is fine. Like it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like Look at you. I'm like we're American. Who don't cares? Worry. That'll be fine. This Ford. What, what are they gonna do? They, what I mean, did they do? You know, we we didn't have any. Our, our guide, who is an actual Indian citizen, he's he like, he, he's Get like stuffing hash into his into his socks. He's like, fuck. Did he have a lot <laughs> of hash like, on him? Well, yeah, we, we've been smoking it consistently for days. <laughs> I mean, I had to last the whole trip. I you know, hate this story. Go ahead, keep going. So and, what happened? Uh, so they do that. I I'm like I'm I guess I'm out of my mind because I'm like, well, hey. You know, I have a lot of dollars, like American dollars. Oh, you can bribe like them there now? must be, like there must be some kind of fine. And they're just like, no, nope, there's no fine. We have to hear from the magistrate. Like, please, go, please go back and sit down. We spent like this whole time on a couch, just Look sitting you, there. You're trying to, you're trying like, to wait. give them the old, the old, whoopsie daisy. Look, it's, ah, it's we worth a shot. We can work something out. Come on. Yeah, there must be some. There people. must be some way. Listen, oh, I'm, from northern, I'm from northern New Jersey. I took the. You know. I was on the. I'm from northern New Jersey, and I was on the first class train in Delhi. I have I even had a seat. Yeah, come on, man. I had a seat. Like you're, you know who you're dealing with. I'm high class, <laughs> high level here. Come on, I'm like Rockefeller over here. Yeah, I'm gonna be Rockefeller. Time. I, pro- I probably had like twenty five dollars in my pocket anyway. <laughs> oh my like, god. So so he tells you to sit down, big shot. The guy tells me to sit down again. But now, now the detective, he's on to me. Detective, the Go lieutenant. Ahead. He he comes over. He says, he says, hey, I'm I'm lieutenant of the police department here. He's like, do you want do you want to buy any hash? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, come on. Do you you wanna do you wanna buy some hash? From him? I'm like, what, sir? You're like, you just told me you're a police officer. No, I do not want to buy any hash. He's like, oh, all right, you got me. <laughs> when he was trying to this like, is... he was trying oh, this to trick this, you. This, this is the this is the Indian sting right here. He's trying to trick me. And he comes back over. He's like, "All right, I can't can't sell you on the hash." He's like, "Wait a second. Hey. So he came up to you and he after all this rigmarole that he thought that you were a dealer. He thought that he could trick you into buying weed from him. Yeah. Hash from him, and then you 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 tell him I'm not going to fall for the old banana tailpipe. Exactly. Then he comes over. He's like, "All right, you got me on that one." He comes back over. He says, "Hey, you see her? See her over there? That's my wife. She thinks you're sexy. You want to fuck her? What? I go what? He's like yeah. She thinks you're she thinks you're hot. You want like maybe he didn't say fuck. I think he said you want to sex her. <laughs> and uh, I was just like no. Is this no, the I'm dumbest gonna... police officer of all time? This is this is come on man. This, this is a language barrier. This is 
Clearly. <laughs> he's he's, <laughs> the, uh, he's the Columbo of the uh, foothills of the Himalayas. <laughs> there's a huge, and, uh, there's a huge mis, mis, miscommunication between right and wrong. Okay, go ahead. Right. So you so he wants you to he wants you to sex up his wife. Go ahead. So I didn't sex up sex up his wife, and okay. I didn't buy hash from the from the. Uh, what lieutenant. did you say when he asked you if you wanted to sex up his wife? I was just like, no, thank you. No, no, <laughs> like, I am no, good. I, I was like, that's very, like, that's very nice, but no, thank you. I'm, I feel I'm, I'm very complimented good. by your wanting me to yeah. have sex with your wife. It's very nice of you, officer. Yeah, it was. She's beautiful. You're a I lucky man, had, but no, thank you. My heart would have stopped. My heart. Oh no, I mean, stopped immediately. Immediately. I'm being very, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm being very macho, but yeah, we, I, <laughs> yeah. I was scared. My, my but, heart uh, would have been like, excuse me. Excuse me, I think I'm done. We're done here. I, I can't live anymore. Yeah, after after like one full day, I was just like, all right, this is, uh, you know, we got to sort this out here. Ugh. And uh, so finally, I don't know what, I don't even know what happened. I mean, our guide was working behind the scenes a lot because he wasn't detained because he was a citizen. Right. So uh, they ended up working out a deal where now we had to drive like 17 kilometers over to the local magistrate and uh we had to issue a formal apology to this like i don't know if it's a state or region or whatever it was and basically you know say we are very very sorry we'll never do it again sorry for what not having a passport yeah for traveling without our passport how many days was this whole thing The, the detainment was like 36 hours and you had to sleep in a, in a cell? No, just slept on the couch in, like, a lobby of a hotel. Like, with the literally the entire town, like, standing outside watching us because we were, like, the entertainment. Oh, yeah, you must have been, like, fucking Pablo Escobar. Oh, yeah. You must they, have thought they, you were, they, like... They were just, like... Look at it, you. It was, we were, yeah, we So you issued we were, a, formal, a formal apology after 36 hours of just not having a passport, and they just let you go? Yeah, I mean, no investigation as to whether we were actually hash smugglers or not, but we weren't. Do you think they were just trying to shake you down for money? I offered them money, so that's that, <laughs> and they wouldn't take it. So that's like the weird. That was the weird thing. That, if so that's they, what they were doing, they they didn't do their job. Some bureaucrats uh, love being bureaucrats. I just think that they were like, they just like busting like, you know, tourist balls. You know, ultimately. Like they they just like to just fuck with us and like that was the entertainment and like you know yeah maybe maybe we were somebody maybe they could catch us on something but you know we we provided a lot of entertainment for that town for a day. God, I'd li- so was how's the rest of the trip? It must have been much better than that. Well, we were behind now, so now we're just like hauling ass. Like now, you know, as if it wasn't the hike. You know, we're not hikers really, but like so as if it wasn't. You know, hard enough. It's like, well, we got to go like double time because now we're a day and a half behind of where we should be. You know, we've got like, you know, we've got to catch another train back. So we had to get back. So we're just like running. We got back to this guy's place and now it's more hash. And uh, they, they, they made this like uh, moonshine, like out of this like what? fruit. It, this, this, I can't even remember. I remember half of this. And uh, we're just drinking that. And he's like, all right, well, you know, we can't like only have like this much like only have like three sips because if you take four like you you know you might go blind I'm like what really what he's like yeah yeah like don't do it just you know just have a couple few like you know have a few swigs and then who don't knows smoke cigarettes at, the, too, right? 
at this point, we're just like, you know, I, I don't know what to believe. So we did that, and then, of course, more hash. How are you not going we, straight we, to the airport? I'm like, this, I'm, I'm, I'm. Because it was great. It's the most beautiful place in the world, and we're like, here. we go, <laughs> at one point, after all here. the hash, we're just like, we're like, hey, man, like, you know, what do we owe you? Like, do we, you know, you want you want some money? Or you want, you know, because that's what we're used to. Okay, man, let me, like, throw down a little bit. He's like, oh, no, of course. This, this is, he's like, no money, no money. This is Shiva's land. This is all for us. That's this beautiful. is Shiva's land, so all the hash is, is on land. the house? All the hash is on the house. Jeez. We taught him how to, uh, that last night, we taught him how to uh, smoke a gravity bong. You ever smoke one of those? What is a gravity bong? Some of, some of your listeners will know what I'm talking well, about. Fader's no gravity bong. Just explain. Fader's no gravity Come on. Please explain. Old, please explain. Old man Fader. Fine. Uh, What's wrong you with put you? a, uh, basically like a... Uh, like the uh, a bowl from like a bong or you you know you can make something aluminum foil or whatever All right. in in a in a bottle cap you cut the bottom off a bottle and put that in the water so put it all the way down light it pull the bottle up so the suction from the water basically pulls on on the uh, the like pipe a lot of work to smoke and it, weed. It, oh it it fills the entire chamber with smoke and then you take the cap off and you suck and just go straight down. It goes right into you. And it's like the most amount of smoke you've ever had in your body. And that's it. You're, you're done. You're done for. To, to the listeners, do you remember in the beginning when he says he didn't smoke a lot of pot? He well, to know now. Well. So you should. We're talking. <laughs> so after we're, being... we're talking, we're talking <laughs> 15, 16 years ago. Man. All right. All right. So after, I'm after a, being I'm detained, now. you're now. You're, yeah, that's right. So after being detained. And being held up for thirty six hours, you show You're your gravity bongs of you, hash. You teach you teach gravity bongs how to do gravity bongs in in in. Well, John, that's that's something else. Smoking hash, drinking moonshine, doing gravity bongs. Look at you! Did you did you end up finding your? Did you make your? Did your spiritual journey happen? Did you find any? Did you gain any peace? Did, did this I, spiritual I did. journey lead to anything? <laughs> I did, but it it wore off really really fast. Yeah. Why is that? Is it just because you were just so high the whole time? No, you know, uh, you need you need like refreshers. You know, you need to, like, uh, you need to go in for a tune-up. So it's, I, I might be due for another India trip. Oh fuck that! Why don't you just go to? No, six I'm not. I'm not going there now. Oh god, are you kidding me? India? I, you know, my dad. My dad. Uh, when he was in, in, my dad was in World War II, and they put him in India. He was part of CBI, China, Burma, India. And he has all these stories about India, and it's like none of them were good. I mean, they were all like, you know, there was just like the amount of poverty and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, yeah, it's just it no, used I mean, that... to drag me to he used to drag. I was this, you know, I was this kind of privileged white kid who just didn't really like poverty scared me. So he'd take me to Sixth Street in New York. And if you ever go to New York, Sixth Street and between first and second is all Indian restaurants, like one next to the one next to the one. The whole block is all Indian restaurants. So the joke is that there's like a little trolley inside in the back and there's only one giant kitchen and they're all everybody's <laughs> connected. But he used to take me there and he used to scare the shit out of me too. So I can't imagine traipsing around high as a kite and Well, you know, it it, it being, was being hassled it by It really was like a it's you know, it's shocking. It's a culture it's shocking. shock. You know, I when I we got to Delhi, like it was like really like fucking scary. Like just the poverty really like the poverty is 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 terrifying I, 
yeah, it's totally unsettling. I mean, the 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 begging, the there's like people with like like a, missing a bone. I remember some dude missing the bone in his arm, but his arm is still there, and it's just flopping. And he comes up to the car, and he's flopping it on the hood. How the fuck is and he like holding his bone? hand out? I don't know. There's no bone in his arm, but there's like an arm there, and I'm just it's like a empty bag. And he's just slapping this like boneless arm. Slapping it on the, the hood. Slapping it a window, slapping it on the hood. You know, the other the other hand with... with the bone in it is holding out, like, give us some money. But, <laughs> give like, us then, some money, so I'll slap slapping. They're it like my you know, the arm. kids, there's these there's swarms of kids who are just who will just like like undertake you like a like a horde of ants. And you're you're just like you see these kids coming, you're just like, Oh shit, we gotta get out of here. I'm gonna tell you as a as a person of privilege, I know that I'm a person of privilege. My father was you know he he was very uh erudite he was very you know and he you know wanted to raise me a certain way with art and culture and stuff like that and at some point in my life he decided i had it too good he decided he, he after raising me as the young prince he decided that i needed to see some i needed to see you know poverty and he used to take me to, to these places he took me to a place in kenya and just like same thing it's like naked children grabbing at your pockets and it was like it was such a culture shock and i was so i was too young to understand and i had no i had no thinking of like these people are just living their lives it was just like you got to get me out of here i can't handle it so i always had this he used to just thrust me into uh into weird poverty like even when we were driving through the bronx and there was a window wiper guy there was that was the big thing before giuliani came in and stopped those squeegee men they would you know these guys would like you know, try to wash your windows and they want you to give you your money. And usually what they do is they spray it before you had a chance. Now you got to pay him. So my dad really, he he's just like, I need you to see that this kind of life and these people. And it was always just very unsettling to me. So I, I might, you know, I, 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 I have a very, I can only imagine what it was like over in India with. I mean, I think, I think it was, I think it was good for me. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, it probably was, I was too young to, I, was too <clears> I don't know how it was before, but you know, it certainly, whatever reinforced some feeling or some humility that I had and something it's quite so something a, good came out of it I don't you know who knows I mean, it sounds I'm, I'm like quite kind a, of a miserable fuck now but for me it was quite a dilemma <laughs> you know I mean but then the, then there was that juxtaposition of having uh having been in Delhi and seeing all this poverty and then going up into the mountains where it's like kind of untouched by civilization there's just like but these wasn't beautiful really that untouched because those those that that weird pimp drug dealer lieutenant he uh he, well, yeah. he wasn't that pristine yeah he was all right it's right. fine well it's i was buddy. i was He's my I, buddy you didn't, you didn't hear me before saying it was, i was trying to i was trying to segue into a like listener dilemmas oh yeah if, let's let's you want to figure out some people's problems let's solve well we'll problems. figure out some people's problems i got a couple that are addressed to I mean, you now directly. that we now that we know how uh, spiritual and centered i am you in touch dude, Dude, I've already written down the name of this episode is Genghis John and his spiritual <laughs> journey. That is the name of this episode is spirit, uh, Genghis John and his spiritual journey. I, I, I give you a lot of credit. I couldn't have done it. My The dilemma for me would have been like, how fast can I get out of here? It wasn't about like, let's smoke some more hash. I'm like, no, get me the fuck forget out of here. I, I haven't even talked about the pooping. All right. Let's hear it. That might it. be a story for another time. I want to hear about the – no, you can't do that. What was 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 the pooping? Go ahead, go ahead. Well, we got time. 
on on our hike, you know, you only carry what you can. Right. So basically, we had a thermos full of dal, like chickpea and lentils. And uh, boy, <laughs> will that make your stomach do a little flippity flop? So, I'm, so I'm a. I'm a meat guy. <laughs> so the so the ratio of doll to shit was almost identical. It was yeah. It's like you the just shit right back like into back, right back into the thermos yeah. and then eat it tomorrow. You might as well just and, spill uh, out the doll because they have no toilet like paper. Did you ever see the movie uh, Demolition Man? Yes. Still, with Sylvester Stallone, and yeah. they, it, sure. you know he wakes up and he goes and he, he's like, I gotta take a shit. And they send him in there. He's like, Hey, just so you know, you're all out of toilet paper, and they're like, There's just these three shells sitting there. And like I, so I go into these bathrooms, and I'm like, hey, just so you guys know, you're you know you're out of toilet paper. There's just like a hose. It's just a hose here and a and a bucket. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and what did they uh, say? I never got a straight answer. They're just like, it's almost like the, it's exactly like demolition man. They just like start laughing at me, like I don't know how to wipe my own ass. I'm like, in my country, we take little wads of paper. <laughs> It was just bad. And, and you're hiking, too. It's like, and there's nowhere, you, you basically pick a tree. And that's, you know, you try taking your shit on the side of a Himalayas. It's like, it, it rolls at you. All your all your, all your your soupy doll shit just rolls right at you. Yeah. So and that I'm was sure rough. The ghost of rough. Sir Edmund Hillary is like, look at that fucking guy. That European hash dealer is trying to drop a deuce, uh, drop a deuce by a tree. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they they could have arrested me for that because you're not supposed to poop on you know right on the land. You're supposed to like bury it. Like ah, this is Shiva's land. Don't worry, it's all on this the house. is Shiva's land. Shiva's yeah, the mind where Shiva's you land. We're all in the house. Ugh. Shiva's the destroyer. Then she destroyed my ass. <laughs> you could you could pay me enough to go to India. I'm sorry. I mean, no offense to India. I'm with you, but like, ah. Um, all right, so let's hear some dilemmas. If you want to get in touch with the show, I got some big interviews coming up. I'm going to definitely have John back because Genghis John is my man. And the next person who's going to come on is Jess, Jesse Uyeda. You know, I, Jessup? She's oh, yeah. the She's a wonderful person. She's a good buddy of mine, good buddy of yours too. And she's she wants to come on. We're going to have her on next, and then who knows what. But uh, if you want to put in some questions or dilemmas or weird scenarios – Go follow me on Instagram at uh, Full Blast Podcast, and then you can DM anything you want. I got a lot of like funny little dilemmas we can talk about or whatever. And P.S. Thank you, John, because your audio sounds great. Your audio sounds well, great. I had a great someone time. Needs, someone needs to redeem the podcast. Um, l- listen, Jamie's my man. He's a great guy, one of my best buddies. He, we just didn't have enough time to kind of get him his, his audio great and fine. Uh, but I appreciate it. Uh, he's the. Best. I'm doing nothing special, future guests. You guys send well, a beautiful, like a beautiful a... invitation with a very succinct checklist on how to uh, record a great you. session. I just and you. I just, I just went down the checklist and okay. said, okay, cool. I'm, I think is... I'm good to go. Genghis John's the greatest. All right, the first dilemma comes from anonymous. This is an anonymous one. Uh oh. I have a dilemma, I guess. In March, I ordered a custom-made product from a very well-known maker. There has been no communication from this person to me as far as lead time goes. I know that making anything custom takes time, and I don't want to be the guy that hounds the maker to get it done. It isn't something I need. It's just something I'm excited to have. I just don't know if I should be reaching out to him since he's not reaching out to me. Thanks, and I really look forward to the podcast. 
Now, just to let you know before we go hand go on, the first thing I said was, it wasn't me, was it? <laughs> I immediately. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm going through my my DMs, being like, wait, did, is it me? Yeah, that's the first thing. Like, I said. did I not answer somebody? <laughs> my my first thing is, it wasn't me, was it? He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's what happens with custom stuff. So, what do you think? What should he do? What's the proper etiquette for a customer who's reaching out for someone who is not paying attention? I or think it doesn't hurt. I think it doesn't hurt to, uh, you know, make contact. Right. You don't have to be. You don't have to be a dick about it. Right. You know, March everything sort of got weird everywhere. Yeah. So take that into consideration. Right. Um, but, you know, if this person's anything like me, uh, it doesn't hurt for someone to put a little fire under their ass because I get I get sidetracked very easily. I get lost in la-la land of, ooh, I, I feel like I want to try this. And I, meanwhile, have like 10 orders that I need to like be focusing on, right. but I want to go and forge some impulsive, weird thing that I thought about. Right. So... It doesn't hurt to keep on. You just don't have to be. Uh, yeah, don't be a dick. Well, it's it's funny because I used to get as I used to get very. Uh, I hated. I started. Uh, I once when I, a long time ago I got, I got a sculpture. I was gonna I was asked to make a sculpture, and I gave them the price, and then they gave me a check on the spot for the whole fucking thing. I was just wanting a third of it. It was a big project, and I thought, yeah. am I supposed to stop everything and work on this now that I paid for it? So what I thought I was like, I just need to keep these people happy. And I need to, so I started sending them emails with like progress reports and then allowed them to know that I didn't just take off with the money. So it, it helped me. And the funny thing is, is like now my customers love it because when I do it now, they get something and it's, and it's, and it's, it's great for them because you know, I have how you make knives and different stages and stuff like that. But then they have this fear, you know, they don't have the fear of like, did he forget about me? Because uh, I actually made, I actually something similar happened to a very well-known blacksmith who you know. And um, I bought a couple things and then he forgot something. He forgot something and um, I forgot that he forgot it. So then after a few months, I was just like, oh yeah, I never got this thing from this dude. And I sent him a message and he had totally forgotten. He had totally forgotten. He's like, I can't, I, really? And I said, yeah, look back in the thing. I paid for all. So the funny thing is, is so I do the progress reports because I don't want people to be like, where's my knife? Usually what I had to do was sometimes there'll be someone who's just excited. What's the next step? What's what's going on now? Once in a while, I'll get a guy who's like on me every other day. So now what? So now what? So now what? And it got very annoying. But my business partner, Tony, used to say, look. You can't fucking freak out. All you have to realize is they're very excited to get your product. The best thing that this person can do is they should be better at communication. That's really important. DMs are not optimal. Emails are the best because DMs, it's like all of a sudden, like I get a lot of DMs sometimes from customers and Tony wants me to like disable the DMs. He's like, you should be worrying going through emails because this is too much. They have, they have too much of your time because they can see that you read the thing and blah, blah, blah. You should ask this guy how the thing is going, and I'm just wondering. And you, I think that you can also say, because uh, I have a couple things with some well-known makers who are doing the same thing. And I said, hey, I'm looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to this. Do you have any idea what the time scale, time scale is or the time frame is? And usually what will happen is, is they'll just, as long as you're not like, where's my knife or where's my whatever. I think yeah, just that you can nice. just make it seem as though you're excited and you're just you're just so excited you can't wait as opposed to what's taking you so long. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, this is a maker that you've chosen to give your money to. You're excited. Just, you know, reach out. It's been, I mean, it's been since March. So, 
you know, it hasn't been two days. But I think the, at this the, point you can. At the same point, at the same point, it's like, you know, this is the biggest problem with these. I mean, everyone has been very, very uh, with Instagram and seeing how what people do, and you want to support people that you like. If even if you're, you know, I've bought stuff from people that uh, that I've been admiring just because I constantly see their prog- their their pictures, and they're really great. And um, and you know, you you just everyone's very excited. The problem is, is these people are they think of themselves as artists. And they don't want to be hampered by this this constraints of money, like oh you pay that means you own I own you. There's this strange mindset where yeah. these guys don't really respect it. it there's a pr- major customer service problem within artisan makers in general. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a simple solution. Then don't accept money. The second you accept money, then you're in business. You know? Well, that's why a lot of knife makers refuse to take money bef- uh, ahead of time. Like there's yeah, I mean, I don't. I, you're saying I don't. I don't want to get paid in full. It gives me nothing to work towards. Right. I used to hate. I used to hate it because I wanted to look forward to something at the end. And Tony was just like, "Can you get the fucking money in? I don't want to hunt these guys down after you sent the fucking knife out." You know, because that happens too. So right. we've got it to the point now where we take a deposit, and then what'll happen is, is we have a. I actually, because we have enough, so many orders, we have like a board. So when Tony sells a knife or something like that, we'll actually tell them when we're going to start that batch. And then I'll start to give emails. But in the past, you know, let's say six, seven years, no one, with the exception of a few maniacs, nobody's on my case. And that's what I need. So, but I think that sending a message and just saying, hey, I'm really, really excited. I can't wait to have this, whatever it is. So that's the answer. Yeah, you might just need to remind them. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> it's, I'm it's telling you. That, you know? I'm telling you, the guy I bought the thing from, and you know him, he fucking forgot. If I didn't say anything, he wouldn't have remembered. Well, so it's a different story. All right, you know, you know. All right, I know. The, you know. The next question I comes know. from. Oh, this is good. Rasmus Steengard. Rasmus Steengard from Norway. Uh, I got a question for you. Is there someone you regret you regret making acquaintance, or that you think will regret meeting you? Keep up the brilliant work on the podcast. It's really entertaining stuff. Love from Norway, Rasmus. So, is there someone in your mind you regret meeting, and is there someone who you think will regret meeting you? Look at that. Um, no, and yes. <laughs> what do you mean I no? Don't, you I... don't regret meeting anybody? Nah, who cares? Well, then what's who do you? Who I'm do you full re- of forgiveness. I'm not going to start calling out people who I decided that I don't like, but dang, you already you know, got it, that spiritual awakening. Oh, uh, dude, listen, I'm dang, I'm John is in the house. Just even tell, telling the stories bring me right back to my my spiritual focus. And you, I, yeah, I don't. My think third many, eye is open, and uh, <laughs> I don't think many people <laughs> who know you realize how centered you actually are right now. Oh, I'm. I've always said I'm the. I'm. I'm awful to the people that I know. You're awful to the nice people that you love. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. That. If I, if I like you, I'm just I'm just brutal. Yeah, miserable. Wow. Poor, so uh, you don't regret yeah, meeting I'm, anybody. I'm sorry I... for you if I like you. Fine. Well, who do you who do you think is going to regret meeting you? Pretty much anybody who meets me. I'm, I'm awful. I'm <laughs> Come on. What are you talking about? You're not awful. You're hilarious. I'm a misery. I'm not You're... friendly. You are friendly, but I, there's this... See, the funny thing about you is, and, and I, I don't have to warn people, but you've already established yourself as, I mean, you are intimidating looking. You're, you're a little intimidating looking. 
but well, you're yeah. very fu- you have a very you're very very funny. I'm a softy though. You're softy, but like, you know, like there there are people who who have asked me, is he scary in real life? And I'm like, of course not. He's just what? like you know, you just have to have. Fuck a, asked you that. You have to. You just give have me to their names. <laughs> you just have to. They're gonna regret. You send it me now. a list after this. You they're, send me a list of people who think I'm they scary. Just, they don't realize <laughs> that you need to have a thick skin because you like to you like to play hard. Well, we've said it before. It's you know, if I don't say anything to you, then you better you should, you know, actually it's be over. afraid. Wow, look yeah. at you! I was gonna say there's someone in my family who uh, married into my family who was a was a uh, was a malignant narcissist, and it really was a very poisonous situation. And it was a real you know, narcissist just you know, narcissist. Back in the day, you just saw, called him an egomaniac or someone who was just self-absorbed. But a narcissist really is like so absorbed that you know you're just kind of like oblivious to what other people are doing and a malignant narcissist or someone with narcissistic personality disorder needs a degree of power and then there's a lot of sociopathy in there where you really have zero empathy for towards others you have a lot of anger and aggression and if you don't receive the praise and love that you feel that you deserve it's this personal uh, attack and you actually attack that other person, you know, emotionally or, or physically at some points, but emotionally and very, it's, it becomes incredibly poisonous. It becomes an incredibly poisonous relationship. And, and these people are, these malignant narcissists are, I've gotten very, very like aware of, you know, narcissism. I mean, I'm a narcissist, but like to the point where <clears throat> these are really, they're unable to be empathetic towards others and, it's, it was. This is a person that I do regret meeting, you know. So that was going to be that. But you, you know, all of a sudden now, now I should be like, no, you know, I don't regret anybody meeting anybody. Well, I no, and also, you know, I think you know, all these experiences, you know, form you in a way. So like, yeah, of course. If I, if I, you know, if I take away someone who I've had a weird relationship with or weird experiences or falling outs or, you know, what what does that do to like me now? So it's hard to, you know, erase that. Of course, I could I could go down a list of people I've had weird shit with. Yeah, I bet. If you want yeah, that, you're, yeah, no, no, we don't have to. You don't have to name names. Okay. I, you know who you are. <laughs> you know who you are. You know, you know who, who you, you are. are, Dave. No, I'm just kidding, Dave. Dave Cardilla. Dave. Dave did a good job on that. Did you Did you listen to that that story yeah. that he wrote? You remember? You were yeah. there. Well, I was only there for the the second half of it. I think Carrie and I had gone to uh, we we were we had gone to pick up beer and the food, and we came back in, and Dave's in the middle of this Cliff. fucking weird story. That was from episode. I think that I was, was like, like Dave. What are episode. you talking about? Dave told that story to Jesse and Cliff and I, Jesse Savage and Cliff Dupton, and we were riveted. And part of it was we just couldn't believe it was coming out of Dave. Like Dave's a good guy. I, we make a lot. Of, I make a lot of jokes at Dave's expense. Dave is a good guy, and I like Dave. Dave is my friend, and I appreciate him. But it was such a crazy story, and how he was telling it was just like you're gonna have to go listen to episode three. But it was this madness. It was total madness. So we, but we, he's part of the team that gets. He's the part of the team that needs the thick skin because John, John's relentless. I'm not that bad to him. No, you're not that bad. I don't know. Dave, you No, you, your spiritual awakening. Your spiritual awakening is very clear. I, I feel even I'm guilty. The wor- I'm the worst to Cliff. I, I beat that dude up. Yeah, you got to be easier on Cliff. Yeah. Fine. Maybe you should take him to India. You guys should, like, you know, 
re, re, redo your steps towards uh, that. We're gonna, we'll go to, we're gonna go to Peru and do some ayahuasca together. Oh my god! Well, I only regret the only people I would regret meeting me is usually the people who think they know what I'm doing. Anytime somebody, want, I've had customers who who want to come to the shop, and they think they know what I'm doing, and they think that it's like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. Everybody's swashbuckling and shit, and it's like. It couldn't be further from the truth. It's such a letdown when you come and see what I actually do. People are like, I'd love to work besides you for a day. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. It's gonna be, you're going to hate it. I've had cooks come, and they want to work for me with the day. They'll work for me with the day, and then all of a sudden, I'll never see them again. They ghost me. So my, I regret anyone who actually meets me in person, and they have this opinion of who I am, and then I'm just, you know, it's going to be, you know, you're going to be very disappointed. That's the end of that. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much the basis of mine. Right. You're just gonna be disappointed. You're gonna be disappointed. Look at us. We are so such. Oh, sorry. We're such sad sacks. Why are you making so much noise over there? I know. I fucked up. I, oh, I cracked on, the door. Man. That was my bad. I apologize. <laughs> that was my bad. Uh, and the next question comes from Matt. The, uh, you know what? I, I thought it. It says Matthew Angle, but I th I, I read it. I almost read it. Matt the Wangle. Because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's Matthew Angle. Problem. I'm an active duty army. I'm active duty army, and I've been told by multiple people that I should sell who I am for my brand and my experiences. I'm more of the mindset that what you should what um, that what you make should speak for itself. There are other brands that use their veteran status in the most cringy, thank me for my service and give me your money or you're not a patriot way. Other brands mention their military association passing as if to say, this is where I learned to be efficient. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on, on you get the idea, right? He's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a, people think that he should be using his experience in the military to, um, you know, use that as almost like, a, I'm just saying, it's like a, almost like a crutch for his business. Well, I mean, I certainly never talk about it, but, you know, I was in Vietnam, and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> old school Howard Stern right there. Some old Howard there. Yeah, it's old uh, Stern. No, yeah, I you know that's I think that's up to you, uh, how you're gonna present yourself, right? It's it's uh, you know it, it's not being dishonest. It, it's it, but if you present yourself in that way, where if you're not supporting me, you're not supporting a veteran-owned business. Right. You don't love America, then right. yeah, you're getting to a, a weird a weird area. It's. That all that stuff is always very strange, and I I always try to and and the funny thing is is I always try to say, because for my own business, you know if I just made knives, and I just made one knife, and I just was like, you you're buying because you want, you like it, it had nothing to do with me, I would be trying to push a product against other products, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to I like I'm trying to give a story to a certain degree. And my, my history as an artist, from history doing this, and a lot of, to be honest with you, a lot of it's a lot of horseshit. You know, a, a lot of singing and dancing and fucking nonsense. But it has allowed me to separate myself out to the point where people want my knife because of me, as opposed to, um, you know, they want, they like the knives, they see them on Instagram, whatever, but they want the whole story. That's why, one of the reasons why I like to do this podcast is try to be better speaker and try to, try to be a little bit more entertaining and see where this all goes. So... I understand the idea of people saying, hey, you know, you should use your active military status to kind of say, hey, look, you know, or because I'm a police officer, or I'm a fireman or something like that. And I think that it is a personal decision based on what you where you want to go. 
you know, I think that you probably will find a lot of markets for that. I think I know that there are a lot of guys who, you know, and they should be proud of your service. I mean, I, I'm very, very I have a lot of friends who are in the police, firefighters uh, who have served in the military proudly. And I, you know, I, your experience is different than mine. And I think that you should go it don't you shouldn't be guilted into doing it, you know, because I could imagine I could imagine like I could imagine it would be a like I said, a crutch, because I, I can't imagine that a lot of people would use it in a way like, you know, this I, I feel like you have to find out exactly what you have to go on a spiritual awakening with John, John, with the Genghis John. Yeah. And you have to really find your chi. You have to shit in a bucket. You have to get some eat some doll and, and really have a real spiritual awakening. Yeah, shit in a bucket. <laughs> yeah, but have a no, I, you know, you just it's yeah, you have to be true to your, yourself and your own history and all that. But you know, don't sell yourself out. You know, it like the knife making or whatever it is that you're making is is priority, and the rest of it's your history. And that's nice to know a little bit about, you know, the person. Uh, if you're not exactly close to that 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 maker that you follow, it's nice to know a little bit of what's going on with this person, what what the backstory is. I will say, for my personal benefit... You don't have to put I, hashtag, you know, veteran-owned. Well, I mean, people do that. They're, they, you people kinda, do that. Everyone's on their own trip, you know? I do sometimes feel, not guilty, but I always think about it. I did used to work at the Center for Mental Arts for five years, you know, and I, and I worked... never mentioned before. that before. I, I mentioned a lot, and I know that I was, at for a long time... I felt like I was using it for a degree of pedigree, like I was giving I was giving myself, you know, duly owned. You know, we when when I was there, we weren't doing as we had classes, but we were doing more fine architectural metalwork, and that's the name of the, that was the name of the kind of construction wing of the whole place. But I felt like it gave me some legitimacy, especially with other blacksmiths, and I used it. And do I still use it once in a while? You know, I. I I, I, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are using um, they're not necessarily they don't have the experience other people do and I think that I, I do find myself get a, I get, get cringy you know when I do say that I went to the I was at the Center for Mental Arts because you know it's like you know you are that's resume taking, writing 101 that's that's everybody padding your resume making it sound as, as you know I'm so like I did I was the chairman of this club in high school and like you know I, I, I sent Jesse I'm like hey you know I, I was the president of my archery club in high school because he's been shooting all the you know he's been shooting yeah. a lot of the bows Jesse Savage has been uh, shooting a lot of Jesse arrows Savage, lately yeah. and, and I was the president but there were two people in the club and I just decided that I was in charge well, but you know on my college degree I was the president or on my I, college application I was the president you know, and that's this is what we do until you retire. That you're padding your resume and making it sound as uh, the best that you possibly can. And I'll I'll just cop to the fact that I like to say all the time because you know with the podcasting, especially with Knife Talk, I love broadcasting and radio, and I love talk radio, and I love shock jockery. I love the fact that one of the most important parts of it is to kind of really kind of like be arrogant. Like arrogance is very important to to to, to talk radio. So it is true we are the number one podcast, <laughs> for a knife-related podcast in the world. I figured it out because I looked at all these things in the hobbies section of the leisure section of these charts. So it's not like we're like, 
number one in the world. We're like yeah, number, number one, one in the United Arab Emirates. Well, we are. We are. We become number one in this particular like world. This little this subculture of like how to and stuff like that. So like I do do that a lot, and I part of me is just like yeah, the, you know, you, but it's what shock jocks do. They say we're number one. I mean, obviously we're not number one in comedy, but we're in how to and hobbies. We're fucking number one. I look at other knife-related podcasts and see where they are, and we've blown their doors off. But it's not like, you know, we're not below Joe Rogan and fucking, you know, you know, uh, Mark Barron. I mean, we're we're down in this weird little subgroup. Fine, I need to go into spiritual awakening. Um, all right. Wake up, people. Wake up, people. This one comes from. Here's a question that comes for, from our friend Moonshine Metalworks. Oh boy, our buddy Moonshine. I'm wearing his T-shirt right now. He's in the he's in the uh, he's in the rotation. Question for you and John: What is the worst night you've ever had out at a bar slash gig slash event, and what's the worst day you've ever had at work? Oh boy. P.S. John, you will see John and I in October at Maker Camp in where is where what town is the Maker Camp in? East Durham. East Durham. If, and there's a there's a bar down there that is scary and it, it will be there <laughs> but this is a bar that's connected to the maker camp and there are fights there are people losing their minds I, I i was i was a little bit i was with a lot of big dudes i was still nervous so there you go so what's the worst so uh what's the mooney wants to know what's the worst night out you ever had i uh I lived in England for like six months during college. Look at you, world traveler. And, uh, I was in yeah, world traveler. I was in uh, York, Yorkshire, York. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, I was out at this club, and uh, drinking gin and tonics. Yes, very English. And, oh yeah, very English. Right. And uh, I don't know. I I can't remember what lead what led up to it, but. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I know what led up to it. it was probably about like ten gin and tonics, but uh, I, I I just run my mouth like I do, and some guy and his girl, you know, walk by me, and I probably was I think I was wearing flip flops, which is completely ridiculous in a bar and a club, and uh, they kind of bump me, and uh, you know me, I'm you know I'm a goofy, this weird person, and I'm like, hey, hey, whoa, hey, watch out, watch where you're going. Oh. And uh, the guy bumping in you, yeah, yeah. And the guy guy leans in, like he's gonna you know shout something in my ear to tell me something. So I lean in too to hear what oh, awesome no. thing he's gonna tell me. And uh, he goes straight and bites my ear, <gasps> like hard. And I and I pull back, and I'm just like, that's where you go to, bro. Like. That's what you. Th- that was the next step for you. What the fuck? I'm like, Get I have, I have blood, I have blood pouring down the side of my head, and I'm just yelling at this guy, being like, "That is not how you argue. That is not the next step to take. You don't just go straight to ear biting fucking Tyson did over he, here." Did he take did you get any ear off? No, no. They, it, it just, I, it was deep enough that I couldn't, like, I couldn't sleep on that side of my head for like a month because it was just, it was so sore. 
but, Did you uh, get like antibiotics or something like that? Can't you get like some fat? But you know, but I I don't know. Human I, bites I, are bad, I guess. At the time, I I the it, they're actually pretty amazing at these clubs. Uh, I, I would say in England. I mean, I don't go to clubs in America, so That's I don't really know. But they uh, it good. almost seemed like it was a split second later they were dragging him out. Like the bouncers, like were like after he you bit know, your ear, like almost instantly he's like up in the air being hauled out and they were pulling me back towards the bar to like put like a, a bar rag on my ear and the whole time i'm screaming fucking tyson over there is giving me aids like <laughs> oh, i'm like going nuts oh, and Jesus. They, all i remember is like screaming about how mike tyson over there is giving me aids and the bartender coming over with more gin and tonics to basically shut me up wow being like here here have some more and then they kick me the fuck out and i'm now walking down the street in york after hours well, yeah, I had a couple other people with me. I think I was with, I was, I had a girlfriend or something at the time, and she was just like, just shut up and let's go. And I was like, no, I got fucking AIDS now. Oh my God. So that was the worst night. That's terrible. And then, and then I had this whole like weird, like other, like self reflection aspect of it, of like, like that's probably the most violent anyone's really ever been to me. Yeah, and my, bad. my, and my first reaction was to just start yelling at him and not just like, yeah. I'm just going to start punching your face. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? Like, oh, I'm just like, you don't even know how to argue. You don't even know how to argue with me. Yeah. So that was wow. the worst. That's terrible. And then, and then what was the, the worst day? What? That. Well, you have to have the worst day at work. It did that with the question was um, I, I don't even know. I, Moon Shine, what was I, can't, the worst I can't do a two parter, man. I can't do a two part question. All right. I mean, what was the second part? Tell me. <laughs> the second part is, and what is the worst day you've ever had at work? Like in my shop work, or whatever. like work, other whatever. other you know, work. Do, do whatever, whatever you want. You just go take it and go I with it. I don't have any bad days in my shop. It's all it's all great. It's all lightning bolts and high fives. Look at you. My worst night yeah. out. My worst night out would probably I don't know would have to be actually my last episode my buddy jamie and i made a sculpture and we had a as giant monkey sculpture and we had to drive it down to it was this giant steel sculpture that we coated in we found this stuff called moisture cure which is for like shop floors it's kind of like this um epoxy for floors and we were using it as like a uh, we were very young and it, we just thought this would be a great, great clear coat because it's super strong so we had, we had finished the sculpture. We we're getting ready to bring it down to, I think, Virginia or something like that. And we were going to go from Virginia down to North Carolina where his family had a house. They had a lake house. We we're going to go drop the sculpture off, go down to North Carolina, have some barbecue, and go to the lake house. And then, like, we we're going then, then to – and then his dad was going to meet us, and they go tubing. They have, like, motorboats, and they go tubing. So – the worst part is, is when I was making the sculpture, I was cleaning off the, I had all the uh, moisture cure on my arms. You know, I wasn't wearing gloves and shit. It was 19, you know, it was, two, it was 1997, 1998. So I was wiping it all off with like acetone on my hands. I developed this chemical, this chemical reaction in my, from head to toe, I was covered in these bumps. Like these, this, this like, I mean, they were like, they were bumps. Like I got a, I got a chemical reaction to this stuff. And so, I mean, my arms, my face, everything was whatever touched. And, and then it was very similar to look like poison ivy. 
So I'm like, well, we can't. We gotta deliver the sculpture. So we we drove, and I was like, I had like ice packs all over me. It was it was super hot. I was super miserable. We delivered the sculpture, and I had like glasses on because I had my eyes were all bumpy and shit. And then I was super miserable. And it was a long drive, super miserable. We installed the sculpture, drove down to North Carolina. And we decided to celebrate. He got a case of beer and a bottle of whiskey. And then he says, when I was younger, what we used to do was we would sit in the lake up to our necks in lounge chairs and drink in the lake. So I'm like, that sounds great. We drank the entire case of beer and the entire uh, bottle of whiskey while our necks were, only our necks were exposed out of the water. I was so fucking, I was destroyed. I mean, I was totally destroyed. And I was throwing up in the lake, and I was like, "Whatever." <laughs> so we got into the we got into the cabin, and then his dad was going to come the next day, and we we're like, "Fucking, we're going to go tubing." So that night, I couldn't sleep, and I was my covered. I was so hungover, I was throwing up every five minutes, and it, you know, don't don't be submerged in water when you're doing a heavy drinking. It's not it's not optimal. And then the next morning, we woke up. We had got four hours of sleep. We were still drunk. We went to Waffle House. To, to 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 try to uh, sober up, and it was the air conditioning was blasting to the point where there was like there was like bubbles on the windows, like there was like uh, condensation on the windows, and it was so freezing when we got in. I was so drunk and hungover. The woman said to me, she said, "What do you want?" I said, "Ah, oh, scattered, smothered, and covered, and all that." And she's, "Can I get you anything else?" And I said, "Yeah, I could really could go for a sweater." And that was that was the end of that. And then we ended up having to do the fucking tubing. And it was like, I was just fucking miserable, getting beaten up on what the. What was water. that order? What was that order from the diner? Oh, no, you go to the Waffle House. When you go to Waffle House, you order uh, hash browns, and you can get them smothered, covered, uh, scattered, smothered, and covered. That's big. You don't know about that? Like I don't know about that. All right, you get covered cheese or whatever. How you ever want you get scattered, smothered, and covered. That was a terrible, that was a terrible, that was a terrible night out. The terrible day out was I was on a job site in the city at a shop I used to work for. And the guy I was, I was, who was my, I was his partner. He was, we were on scissor lifts and we were putting extrusions up in the ceiling and it was January and it was, there was no windows. It was construction. It was a construction site. We were on scissor lifts, scissor lifts, two scissor lifts. I had one side, one scissor lift, he had the other one. And we had to put these extrusions up with, uh, uh, you know, uh, these top to, in, to get these uh, window frames in, giant window frames. And it was freezing cold. And I couldn't, I couldn't, we had to like get a hammer drill and this and the thing. I didn't know that my partner was on cocaine. And it was, he told me afterwards, but it was like, we were looking out over, I, I was harnesses and stuff like that. But the guy I was supposed to trust was like, out till fucking lunch that was the worst job i'd ever been on and it got to the point where i said in the league got the, the boss when he came back to the shop like can i cannot be on this job anymore you've got to do something because i can't do this <sighs> I, i'm not an outside guy i hated doing that um i got one more story unless you want to keep going uh ooh, this one comes from the great steve, <laughs> this one came, comes from the great steve schwarzer this is Ooh. a perfect Steve Schwartzer, if you don't know, Steve Schwartzer is the greatest. I love I love that man. He's an awesome individual. Steve Schwartzer wrote to me and he says, here's the teacher's quandary. Normally you have students that are willing to learn 
and do improve according to their skill set. Occasionally you'll find one or two that seemed unable to apply the lessons to their work. Would you continue to teach these very do you teach these uh, uh, teach these very few regardless of the application of the presented knowledge? So you're teaching these guys, they're not learning, they're not learning, they're not learning. Do you keep teaching them and take their money? Or do you get them the fuck out? What do you do? Well, well, he he's in the unique position where he's teaching privately. Right. So he gets to make that decision. Right. For Like, if I have a student uh, at the school who just, like, isn't getting it, or just you know whatever is doing all the wrong things. I can, like I kind of can't kick them out because they're enrolled in the school and they sign up for the class. Right. So the, the best thing I could do is is you know you talk you whatever you have some direct conversation with them, or uh, you know you fail them, or whatever you know. You fail them. You get them. You know if it, well you're just not completing the the given task, so I guess you don't pass. Um, you know for Steve he you know he can say look you know you're not getting it like maybe maybe this isn't the you know the class for you maybe this isn't maybe you need to go back and you know take power hammer basics class or take you know whatever you know i i can't imagine going from like zero to you know steve schwarzer class um and and expecting to grasp everything that he's throwing at you yeah it's almost not even worth it it's not even worth your money to like go straight to that but the steve schwarzer classes you know you make a good point steve schwarzer is a different situation steve schwarzer for those who don't know is is one of the oldest and most relevant master bladesmiths he really kind of pioneered uh cancer damascus he's like when you you people throw throw around the world the word living legend he literally is a living legend he's i mean he's incredible he's extraordinary and he's a great guy and he's super generous when you go to take a class with Steve Schwartzer, you're 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 it's not easy. Like you could take some blacksmithing classes. We used to have guys who would take blacksmithing classes at the Center for Mental Arts. I'll, I'll name drop that again. And they were constantly taking them, I and they weren't really getting better, but they were having a good time. And I think that there's different styles of your student. You know, like I always like the idea of the student being, I want you to come here and have a good time. You don't need to, you know, be at the end of it. You shouldn't need to have to cure cancer. If it's a good day at the office, it didn't come out exactly the way you wanted it, but you're enjoying yourself. That's kind of what I like better. You know, I don't want. I, yeah, but, I, I, yeah. And, but you don't go to Steve Schwarzer for that, right? You don't go to Steve. You don't go to Steve Schwarzer for that. That's for sure. I mean, it, it's a it's a tough situation. I would imagine that his student, his clientele is a high it's got to be a higher it's a higher situation because you'll only take one or two guys at a time so you're it's a it's a high ticket item and you know what steve why don't you just take their money and have a good time you know if they're not getting better but they're still enjoying themselves you know there's a level level of stress too but you know as the teacher that like you know we've done you know hammer classes or i've had i've had like an individual come and take a hammer make make a hammer with me and like you know, I'm watching the clock, and like, if we're not at whatever a certain time of the day, and you're not right. far enough along, I start to get stressed out. Like, right. and if you can't, if because I want you to leave. First off, I want you to leave. Let me start with that. I want you to leave, right. but I also want you to leave. You I know, with you a hammer. I want you to leave with a good experience. And you know, I don't want to be here at you know at the last minute rushing a heat treat, rushing, 
getting not getting a handle on it, like all these things, you know. So it, it, there is a level of stress of I want to get this person their money's worth and you know complete the the, the assignment really. Well, you know, the funny thing that you say is, it's funny because I've taught, a, I have the best time when I teach classes at Jonathan Porter's place, Doghouse Forge, because he and I have the same, we have the same mindset. You want them to have a good experience. You want them to have a good time. A lot of times what happens is with a lot of these knife making classes, especially, you'll see the picture of what the knives look like or, you know, the teacher's knife. And you're thinking, that's what I'm going to do today. And it never happens. And something will happen. Like we were, I was teaching a class when I was teaching a class with uh, with Tomer. We were teaching a class, and these guys were like they were expecting it to come out exactly like a Florentine kitchen knife, and it just didn't. And it didn't make it bad, but there was this like kind of slight disappointment. Also, like you take a three day a knife making class, and shit goes south on day one, you're stuck with this fucking thing for the next two days. So there's this definite feeling of, of the pressure on this teacher, but some of these teachers don't feel that pressure. Like I've been to classes and I've and I know teachers who mail it in, and it's like that's, I think that's the, the teacher fault. should feel that pressure first off. Like they should, but a lot of them don't. Problem, right? Well, a, a lot, lot of them, them don't. A lot of them feel like a lot of them feel like, look, you didn't listen to me, and, and this is what you get. But then at the same time, some of the expectations are always too long. I mean. You know, you take a teacher, a knife making teacher, they've made thousands and thousands of knives. I mean, I've made, I've made, um, I don't remember, I, I can't, I didn't never count it, but I mean, I've got to be close to a thousand knives by now. Easy, uh, easy a thousand knives under my belt. So I'm, I have a little bit of more uh, finesse in terms of how to get to a certain level that I want. But a lot of ha what happens is these guys, they come in and they think, oh, mine's going to look like this. And that's never the case. And it's very disappointing. I hate that. That's why I, I won't teach uh, the only knife making classes I'll teach unless someone really wants to pay me is I don't want to do a one day class because I try to give the most amount of value to a student. I love teaching just straight blacksmithing classes. Like when you teach a bottle opener class, like I had these, this great couple that comes every so often and they want to do a half day. So we'll just knock out some bottle openers and then they feel like they've gotten something out of it. And every single one they do, they learn a little bit more. But I think that when you get to the point where you're like in that Steve Schwartzer situation where you're doing one day canister Damascus and then you're forging out the blade and then you're normalizing and heat treating it and then you're putting on the handle and you're talking about a five day class, it can be very, very stressful. I hate those classes. You know, I hated taking them. I hated the pressure of I hope this fucking thing comes out great. And then you're disappointed at the end. Yeah, no, it's, it's bad enough when I'm making, you know, a hammer on my own. You know, it is I bad. Be like, I don't need to be watching like you make mistakes and then me feel like I'm I'm failing you in some way as like a teacher. Right. And then, you know, you look you're like, OK, so like, you know, I like now I'm comfortable with you. And I say, all right, well, you know, so go ahead. Just like do like do what you just did again. Like I'm going to look away for five seconds and then you do something crazy. And then I'm like, oh, and that just like ruined the whole thing. I. Oh, like, why did I not look at? Why am I not just watching you the entire time? Steve is fantastic, and I would think that I would think that even if these guys don't, he's. I think he's putting too much pressure on his students too, because he's expecting something out of them that they might just not have it into him, but they still love doing it. I say, Steve, take the fucking money. I say, take the money, and and just try to figure out a way to you're enjoying yourself, or you just say, listen, 
I, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not, you know, you can charge more, you know, I, I that, that that'll that'll, uh, you know, weed out the uh, nudniks. I, yeah, weeding out the nudniks. But at the same time, it's just like it's it's a it's not a for me, it's not a quandary. I try to really I don't I don't want to also teach people how to make my knives because that's what happens is you teach people how to do your thing and then they're influenced by what you're doing instead of, you know, and then they're making your shit. I don't want to do that either. That's what happens all the time. Like people yeah. take a couple of classes and then all of a sudden everyone looks got to look everyone looks like they got a plunge line like so and so. But um that's a good one. Do you want to do one more or you want to Let's get one more. Let's see. Whatever, man. Yeah, let's go. I'm with you. I'm here all night. Dude, dude, you're coming back. You're coming back. I need Genghis John more often. I need Genghis John. You got the good audio. We got the good we'll chemistry see. going. You know what the reception is. The reception will be great. The reception will be great. This you made me so happy. The last two interviews, love Joshua Prince. He's my guy, but I swear to God, he wrote me this funny message. If you listen to the last episode of Knife Talk, Josh Prince has got he's got fans going. He's tapping his toe tap and he's not opening he up. He's in a helicopter, wasn't he? Using a helicopter, whatever. It was an awesome conversation. He's a fantastic guy, and we figured him out a little bit. We figured him. I figured him out a little bit, but it was the content was great. The audio was so bad, and unfortunate. It was really unfortunate. So I was, I, I started sending messages to Jai. I said, "Your fucking audio better be good. I swear to God, I can't take another one. I swear to God, I can't take another one." So shout yeah, out I was, to. I was stressing about it for about a day and a half. Oh, you were not. You're fucking great. This sounds awesome. I was. Right, so it's my wife, call her. No, you were. Don't get out of here. I'm not asking your I'm wife. I'm standing in the kitchen being like, well, if I stand here, if I stand Shut here. Shut the fuck I... up. You were to really talking you... about it? Oh, yeah. My wife doesn't want to know. She doesn't give a shit. I can't let you down. You never let me down. Uh, where were we? I lost. Okay. This one comes from Curb Stalker. How do you cut ties with a client that's high maintenance? And how do you set a competitive price that still buys you dinner? So it's a good question is how do you deal with high, high touch, high touch customers? And how do you, uh, how do you make a set, a set of price for that? You can, you know, pay for things and be competitive. I, uh, <laughs> I started off saying I will not be helpful and I have two not helpful answers. Okay, go ahead. The first, I had a client who was great she ordered she was just every day she she's coming back like oh i had this idea i need a i want a mirror uh now i want a mirror that the 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 framing of it matches this fireplace screen that you made me and now oh oh we need a log holder right and then we need this and bop, bada, bop, bada, bop. like she probably you know ten thousand dollars worth of stuff from me right and then she started to get mad about something that i did and I just, I basically sent her back every email exchange that we ever had. And like the first one starting with me telling her what she should do. And then her telling me what she wanted. And then me telling her, okay, but this is what I think you should do. And basically I just told, I, you know, I informed her how wrong she was from the very beginning. And then she never called me again. That's so that's one way. That's one way to do it. That's one way to do it. That's what, one way. What's the other way? What was the other question? See, I'm not good oh. at these two-parters. <laughs> you don't like you can't. And the two-parter is how do you set? A oh, how do you get? How do well, you set a competitive price and still be able to buy dinner? Yeah, uh, these these camels I I just finished. Yeah. Um. In in February, yeah. when they asked for a quote, I gave them one price, and they told me that they were going to go. They were like, okay, well, we're going to go with someone who's going to do it for way cheaper in California. Um. And then 
couple months later, that person never even got back to them ever. So they came back to me. This quarantine hit, and I have nothing else to do. And I and they're like, "Can you do it for this much?" And it was a third of my original price. And I was like, "Sure." Whoa. So, <laughs> so there you go. I'm not a good person to ask for that. I just figured, well, I have nothing. I'm I'm at stay at home. I can do this, you know, on and off for the next month. And uh, so I just did it. It wasn't like a time crunch thing. I just kind of casually worked on it. Well, and uh, I still should have gotten more money for it. But of course, but that's metal work. I know. That's metal work. Usually, what happens with metal work? My my original quote, I I think was was right. right. Now now that it's all done, like my original quote, I think was accurate. And moving forward, now I know, and that's what it should be. But they got a story. at the time, I was like, well, whatever. You got a story now. You got humped by camels the camels. It's fine. You got humped by the camels. I had a, I had a high-touch customer who was very high-touch, really high-maintenance. But I still like this person. But it was like, it got to the point where it was like nonstop. And just the emails back and forth, the emails that I would receive were just, it was a question of, I wasn't responding fast enough, and there was a little bit of, she put a little bit of, venom isn't the right word, but it was like a little bit of like, passive aggressiveness, and it just got to the point where it's like, what else do I have to do for this person? And they just, this was a difficult person, who it was known for sending stuff back, and this was not an abnormal, this is, she wanted what she wanted, and I appreciate that. It got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to, she wanted me to make her a new one. And she felt like I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't, she shouldn't charge, I shouldn't charge her because whatever. So instead of just fighting it off, I made the knife for her. And then I delivered it and I was so irritated that she didn't realize that my whole personality of being irritated is funsy, you know, kind of funsy. So I handed her the knife, and I thought, I don't want to talk. I don't want her to open it up and it'd be a big thing. And, oh, uh, you know, I didn't want it to be anything other than I'm going to drop it off. And, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. I actually went farther than I should have. I made a huge mistake in assuming that she knew I was joking. And I said, here's the knife. Now leave me alone. And I said it in a way that I thought was funsy, but it clearly wasn't. You there? Oh, I'm listening. And <laughs> and she wrote, she loved the knife, but then wrote me this hideous email about how leave you, I should, you know, how rude it was for me to say, how dare you say, I leave me alone. It was very much along the lines. I felt, I ended up having to say, oh, that's my whole bit. I'm just kind of this miserable guy. And I don't really mean it that way. No, I tell everyone to leave me alone. I'm just like, now I really want you to leave me alone. But it, 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 we worked it all out. It, it was I, sh, I should have used my head, but I couldn't control myself. And I wanted, I wanted her to be. I, I don't know what I did. I really fucked up. I really fucked up. I should have been. I shouldn't have been so funzy. <laughs> I said, "Leave me alone." And she did, found it to be. I, I, so, I lo- I, so all my, all my good, all my good, uh, all my goodwill was thrown out with "Leave me alone." So uh, I told, I told the woman I work with to take a chill pill, and that did not go over well oh, take a yeah, chill pill bad. what are you what are you that was bad take a chill pill bad. i used to once said it to my mother once and she, boy was she mad at me yeah yeah don't that's it, that's, that's advice don't say that to her. don't <laughs> so, say that any don't say don't say take a chill pill 
they take a chill pill. Um, and then, a chill pill. I, you know, <laughs> honestly, honestly, you, you difficult people are just going to be difficult, and there's nothing you can't win them over. I've had I've had difficult people. You can, just, in the you past. can only make the situation worse. You you can only you can't and you can't meet difficult with difficult. That's the worst part. Like you think I'm going to fucking win this person over, or I'm going to like they're going to. Sh- These people have been difficult for a long time. This is they know how to be difficult. These are usually malignant narcissists too, and they they're vindictive and they're sociopaths. And this is like it's a no-win situation. So what you can do is just kind of like take it and take the money, and or you can just you know start pricing them out. You're pricing them out to the point where they're just like difficult people are tough, and it sucks. And part of me always wants to try to win them over, and it never works. Well, right. Um, right. Maybe, maybe that's that's the one answer for the guy's two questions. It's you know, if the person's annoying and you want to stay competitive, same with Steve Schwarzer. Just make them raise pay. Your price. Make them pay. Make them pay. The, Make like, them pay. You, you can be as annoying as you want if you're going to pay. Make them pay. And that's a show. Money we're our, I, and that we're going to we're going to end it there. Our time is up. I just want to thank you, Jod. Because you are my friend, and I'm definitely, I definitely want. If you want to come back on, I want you to come back on because I love hearing your stories, and I think that you're a great guy. If you want to follow John Ariani, John Ariani, it's Sunset Forge NJ on Instagram. He's, he's, I, I got a feeling he's starting to get off social media because I think the the ways of the world are. He needs to go back to India to to define himself again. Yeah, I need, I need, yeah. He needs to, he needs another spiritual awakening. But I just want to thank you so much. Go, please go follow Maybe him. Maybe I'll be back soon. I don't know. I tell you what, of all my hammers, the hammers that you've made me are my favorite. And you're yeah. and you're sign you're making you're squinching your face up because you because you know I have a lot of people. Throw, throw the rest out and prove it. Throw the rest out and prove it. I'm gonna have to throw the rest out and prove it. So thank you once again, everybody. The scrapyard. The scrapyard. All right, you heard you heard everybody. You heard it. I got a I got a, I got a tough decision to make here. So go follow me on Instagram, Full Blast Podcast, and interact with the show. We're going to be doing more of these kinds of things. I got Jess, um, I Jessup, uh, Jess I uh, Uyeda coming back. I think Craig Lockwood wants to come back on, so we're going to have, have fun with him. John's definitely coming back. And I appreciate you guys. Follow the guys over at uh, all the Makery Podcast shows, and uh, we'll see you around. Okay? Thank you, John. Makatory. No, Makatory. It's Maker. It should be Makatory. Bye from the Makatory Podcast Network. Uh, our time is up. Bye bye. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.